hello everybody and welcome to our Christmas special edition of Infection Control Matters. And uh, I'm going to explain that a bit more in the moment, but we have Phil are you and going to tell people Mum. who you are? Going to tell people who you are first. Oh yeah, that's right. Every every podcast. This is a run, this is a running joke for for listeners. I don't know how many times we've recorded the introduction. Well, all we've got to say is welcome to Infection Control Matters, and my name's Brett. And uh, I go, I get that wrong, but Phil's actually even worse than me than that. Um, so yes, I'm Brett Mitchell. You've probably heard my voice a few times. And Martin and Phil, hello. Good evening, Brett. How are you going? Hello. Very good. Very good. Yeah, morning. Martin. Morning, morning yeah, to good you. morning. Morning, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good to see Martin too. Yeah. So this is a Christmas special, and in this Christmas special, we are just going to have a chinwag about a few things. And uh, we're going to try and do it without having to edit it. Um, so Phil will have to watch his expletives. I'll have to watch my uh, tapping on the keyboard for Martin, so Martin hasn't got to edit that out. Uh, and we're going to just have a talk about a few things. We're going to talk about... Uh, podcast what would have been some of our favorite uh podcasts and a bit of a reflection on um things for the year as well so over to you martin what that's that's first that's an early hospital pass <laughs> yeah no, it's hospital. No, actually i want to talk about i actually want to talk about this podcast to start with i don't like talking about ourselves much but i just for those all listening thanks for your support it's been fantastic we've had listeners now from 50, 60 countries across the world? 63, I think. Yeah. 63. Yeah. Um, 63. You know, we're getting what we're getting equivalent of a, a you know, a, a big international conference plenary uh, session of listeners every few days. And so it's, um, it's remarkable. So thanks everyone for listening in. Even more impressive is because our English is really quite terrible. So how people mm. in many of those countries are understanding us. Be a challenge, yeah, I think. Yeah. And look, we've uh, we've had you know the number of listeners have, have has gone up um, throughout the year as well. So we really appreciate that. This is going to be our last one for the year, and then we will uh, rejoin in twenty twenty two with some new topics and new speakers. Phil, what's been your favourite podcast that we've done this year? Is there one that you've stood out where you've gone? I really enjoyed doing that or listening to it. There's been. Many, hasn't there, Brett? Lots of podcasts. And um, I guess it makes you think about the purpose of what we're trying to do here. And that's, from my point of view, I guess, is really just sharing some interesting little tippets that we pick up. Um, You know, I think one of the things that we've missed in the past couple of years is going to conferences and hearing those talks and meeting Mm. people that you wouldn't necessarily meet and and hear. And and I, I guess... Hopefully, from my point of view, one of the pod, one of the aims of, of the podcast and one of the things we're trying to do is to try and bring that, you know, what we've missed in the past couple of years into people's backyards or homes or um, mm. ear pods or whatever they're called. And um, some, some things, sometimes the simplest things I find are the most attractive. And, and to be honest, I thought the, um, the chat that Martin did this year at the, I think it was the IPS conference with Heather Loveday. Uh, and Heather just spoke to a couple of the very basic fundamental nursing practices that we all learn, you know, probably in the first few weeks 
um, about patient care and what's important for the patient and the things that we can do, the very simple things, and often the simple things are the ones that are forgotten and neglected, that we can do to improve patient care and um, often lead to the prevention of infection. So, I, you know, I really enjoyed um, Heather's chat with with Martin. Mm. Martin, the IPS conference uh, series that you did, that, that was one of them and that was very popular. Uh, to, yeah, it was, to it was a bit different, it. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit different, actually, and I, I enjoyed oh, it second, very Martin. much. Hang on a second. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, it's just a can of... Uh, <laughs> Non-alcoholic uh, beer. Thanks, right. <laughs> non-alcoholic. Yeah, Merry Christmas right. Day. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got non-alcoholic beer just because I feel like I ought to. But I'm having it's a cup half of tea. in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> cup of tea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I thought I thought the conference series actually worked <clears throat> pretty well, and it was it was really quite nice to go on the road to Wickpick and IPS. And you know, it's a shame May Sipsy wasn't the same thing. And I, I hope we'll do that going forward. You know, just take grab a like microphone and go along and chat to people because you get a different perspective on it. I mean, I, I had a chat with John Otter about surgical site infection. Who cares? In his hotel room, we were just sitting there chatting away, and you know that's turned out to be one of the most popular podcasts because I think people like discussion. And I know when I go to conferences, it's the most it's the, one of the best bits. It's when you can actually stand there and chat and you know mm. have a just good discussion with people and it's, it was sort of an extension of that really and so it worked it worked quite nicely i thought yeah people are probably wondering what was the most listened to podcast this year uh yeah well i've, I've got the rank in front of me and uh, stephanie dancers won early on on covid myths yeah where uh, I, I still go, yeah, okay, fair enough. Because I said, yeah, I didn't know most of this stuff. Did you, Stephanie? Oh, yeah, I knew it all. Okay, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough then. Uh, so that that laid my ignorance uh, bare. But actually, my my ignorance has been laid bare throughout the year. Because I, one thing I love doing about the podcast is actually learning loads, and mm. I never stop learning. I don't think. Uh, but it does make you learn a bit about your subject because you're going to be talking to somebody about something they know a lot about. But actually, you get different insights when you when you're talking to them as well. So that, those are the things I I've enjoyed about it. But yeah, that's been the number one, Stephanie's. Mm. Um, it was actually our the first early one, we one did, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was the first one we did. Yeah, yeah a bit apart of time from the introduction, bias. it was a time dependent time bias on that one. Then, well, <laughs> interestingly, the, the second one is our second one with <laughs> with our practical eminence of healthcare cleaning. But then our third most popular one was our twentieth. Which was the mind your language one? So oh, they, yes. you know, it, it's not just time dependent. I mean, there's some, mm. you know, some other very popular ones have been quite a bit further on. I mean, generally the COVID ones have been uh, very popular. Kirsty Pusing something in the air one about the air filtration mm. that's been pretty mm. popular as well. But you know, Stephanie's sitting on five hundred and forty-two listens, mm. which is mm. a good sized conference audience, I'd say. And the, our average is about three hundred and twenty, and the top twenty are knocking out three hundred and seventy listens. I mean, this is a niche area, so. And mm. Hopefully we're we're giving something for someone. I'm I'm to be honest. I'm I do it for fun anyway, and I do it if no one was listening. So uh, yeah. I'll talk to myself quite happily. Um, Have you noticed any geographical bias uh, in the stats, Martin? Is there any uh, favour towards the Australian leaning sort of uh, topics as opposed to the European leaning topics? I mean, generally there's more Australian listeners, but but you two are popular in australia and so people will listen to you i mean the rest of the world don't care about you but the rest of the world don't care about you but you're popular in your own country which is also always useful (laughs) it's very useful i mean 
quite a lot of UK listeners, quite a few from uh, Ireland and America. Generally, the you, you know the English speaking countries, Canada. But you know we've we've got people from all absolutely everywhere now listening. So you know uh, China, we haven't penetrated yet, probably because we haven't made it through the firewall. Mm. Um, but you know, the, many countries are actually listening, which is really quite nice to see. But uh, you know, I suppose the international language of any conference is usually English anyway. So you know, it, it, people in this sphere will listen in to, uh, to conference sessions and, and get that. So, mm. yeah. so uh, you know, obviously everyone's been smashed with COVID over the last eighteen months in their work uh, life. Uh, we've seen plenty of silly things and some plenty of really good things but on the silly things front um i you know i still don't understand the whole toilet paper um the whole toilet paper fiasco started in australia i think where we 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 thought covid lockdown was coming and everyone went and bought toilet paper i still can't understand what the rationale for that one was because uh it's not like it caused diarrhea but um uh, yeah, there's been some there's been some very funny um, reactions across the world and some some great memes. Given that people sneeze into their elbow, I think the toilet paper thing's explained by the fact that people don't know their ass from their elbow. Sums that one up. <laughs> Do you need to sneeze into your ass, Martin? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I talk out of it most of the time. So. <laughs> Uh, I saw a funny little meme actually, uh, and and it was a mask hanging on a wall, and it said, "I can't stand smelling their breath anymore." And then the toilet paper roll said, "Do you want to trade?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know. I mean that was an odd one though. Human logic goes out the window though, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly which is, right. Which is completely fascinating. Was was there similar scenes in in the UK, Martin, with the toilet oh. paper? Fr- oh yeah, Freddy, yeah, yeah. Uh, Once yeah. we got. What, yeah, once we got wind that the Australians are buying toilet paper, then everybody here went buying toilet paper, and you just couldn't get hold of the stuff. It was absolutely nuts, you know. So it's almost the reverse of looking at what the true pandemic is. So uh, I'm going to worry about norovirus when I go to Tesco's and see all the you know, the you know, masks fly off the shelf, the masks and masks and nose, you know, nose tissues going off the shelf. I'll be thinking norovirus is obviously about to hit because again they got it round the wrong way. Yeah, you know, we also. Um interested to hear what people would like us to talk about uh in in 2022 so if you've got ideas feel free to shoot us a message on twitter or email um if you've got some suggestions uh topics or speakers i think there's a few things we're going to delve into a little bit more detail i think we'll delve into hap a little bit more martin and uh yeah yeah there's a couple of people i want to talk to about that i want to talk to aline wolfsberger about her step wedge design study that got curtailed because of covid because mm. that was showing great fruit i'd like to get holly Sline on talking about her reduction in c diff because of her hat reductions because you know c diff less anti- you know, less antibiotics because of pneumonia equals mm. possibly less c diff so there's a few people i want to grab early mm. on in the in the new year so i've already started <laughs> to create my wish list i think we also want to explore ventilation and the air a lot more there's a lot more we want to get into mm-hmm. uh in in that space um yeah. So I think there's there's plenty there, and then and of course there's a few conferences uh, around the April time. So maybe we can try and um, link in with a few of those again, and speak to some people from those conferences. 
I was really curious that um, that that uh, our colleague John Otter has jumped on the uh, SSI um, bandwagon again because it's often something that he feels as though we've dealt with that it's okay we're we're okay with the surgical sign infection rate but John raised some really good points in that discussion that you Mm. had with him Martin and it's still a big problem it's still a big issue surgical sign infections are still one of the top three I think infections that occur across uh, healthcare associated infections when we do um, prevalence of um, surveys and Mm. so it's we feel as though with all the antibiotic prophylaxis and uh the uh, antimicrobial sutures that we use and the bundles that we apply and that everything should be under control, but it's not. And uh, that's an area that I'm looking forward to getting into in the next 12 months. That's probably because nobody's doing any of those things. I mean, we, <laughs> we, have, we have an idea what works, but people just don't do them. I mean, I was involved in the study with David Leeper and Judith Tanner a number of years ago when we put together a nine-point bundle for surgical site infection reduction and you think, oh, this should work. Uh, and infection rates actually went up. Um, deep went down, but peripheral went up. Uh, you know, okay, let's have a look at how well the bundle was implemented. And actually one people, one person in nine got the entire bundle. Yeah. So who knew? If you don't do things, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where we've got to get our interventions properly implemented if we can be confident that the result actually means something. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure that we're there with that. Compliance, uh, compliance, and enforcement is something I've learned a lot about in the past few months. And uh, clearly, <laughs> you know, the, the bundle with no compliance is a useless bundle. Mm. Uh, so we really need to get more into that side of, of compliance and enforcement of these sorts of uh, interventions. Are you doing a bit of work for your fellowship, Phil, on uh, SSIs? I am doing a little bit of work. It's uh, stored a little bit in the past year or so. You've had other, with, you've had other with, big priorities with with COVID, but yeah, yeah that's something that we're that I am looking at is um, is uh, really leveraging off the work that's come out of the Netherlands uh, from Mikey van Murich with regards to identifying cytosine infections through the use of algorithms and electronic medical records, which has a lot of promise. And, uh, I'm quite confident that's the way to go. But there's, in Australia, um, you know, to bring it to a local level, we're very far behind when it comes to electronic medical records and um, there's a bit of work to do here. But I think... In the, in the ideal world where all the data is electronic, then there's some really good things that we could do with those algorithms. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd seeing increasing numbers of papers suggesting that electronic surveillance now will be the way forward, certainly save a lot of shoe leather. It maybe help us looking at areas that we don't do any surveillance on at all at the moment, like HAP. Exactly. There's virtually yeah. no surveillance <laughs> beyond prevalence studies. Yeah. And yeah. so it gets ignored. Yeah, it, it does. It's a hard one, and so is Cowdy to do surveillance on. There's got to be a better way uh, in terms of more time-consuming, uh, less time-consuming, but um, someone could master that. That would be ideal. Well, you haven't asked me in my favourite one of the Okay, uh, sorry, Martin. Of course. <coughs> what is no, your no, favourite? No, no, no. Well, I think the one that's made me think the most, actually, was the staph capitis in neonatal units. You do like your staph capitis on. at the moment, don't you? Honestly, well, it's it's a... Uh, for me, it's... I mean... It, I can get that an di- incubator would still be positive after cleaning and disinfection because have you seen one? I mean, they're almost impossible to clean mm. well. You know, there's so many niches and crevices. Well, millions. I, I dread yeah. to think. I mean, there's a video on YouTube. I'll, I'll stick. There was a link in the podcast anyway. But when you when you're seeing the person taking apart the parts to actually clean them, there's that many grooves. It would take you ages to actually thoroughly clean each one. You know, and we know a bit more about dry biofilm now, so. 
I'm not surprised it's positive, but that's just an, you know that's just probably where they're looking because the baby's in contact. But the thing that really got me is where did this particular clone get into the majority of neonatal neonatal units in many countries? You know, how's one clone mm, had to come from somewhere? Yeah, ex- absolutely. How has one clone got around the world? And that's the that's the one question because if we don't know how it got in. It's still maybe being seeded in all the time. And mm. you, you, we might say, okay, Staphylococcus is not really a pathogen and is it clinically significant? But if there is a mechanism for something getting into every neonatal unit in the world or, you know, a, a significant mm. number, then a pathogen could find the same route. Or, you know, if, if you started seeding something else in, then you could have a much bigger issue. So to me, that's it's worth looking at, see if you could try and cut it off at source. or so try and at least work out how the same clone got globally disseminated. Now, when people say, oh, yeah, neonatal units are linked, not not that level of linkage, I don't think. So that's, mm. you know, and this I lie awake at night thinking, what the hell could that be? Now, not for long, obviously, because at my age, I nod off very quickly, but... So that one, that one made me think a little bit, really. And I, I also enjoyed our HAP discussion with Victoria Ewan as well, because I, I do like Yeah, that was that. a good one. Yeah. And that's a nursing intervention that, you know, we, we thought about at the University of West London, we thought about, oh, should we create a tool to identify people at risk of HAP and then intervene? But the intervention is cleaning people's teeth a couple of days and getting them moving. So, in fact, yeah. who do you not want to do that for? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so it's it's suspiciously like good nursing care. There's so. a paper. I think it's came out recently in AGIC, and it was uh, looked at the risk factors. Maybe it wasn't AGIC. Risk factors for HAP. Might have been a systematic review, actually. Anyway, um, you know, it's it's like you could have guessed the answer before. You know, people who've not mobile, people who've got swallowing difficulties. It's, it's that's you know people who are a bit older uh yeah people who happen to be on stroke or medical wards because they've probably got the one of the above so mm. um you know it's some of these things are pretty much in our face telling us and we just need to do something about it i, I actually do think we're targeting in targeting interventions at the wrong people to be honest mm. you know we, we, we're aiming at trained nurses but actually that sort of basic care of getting people moving and cleaning people's teeth and helping them with their food actually would be a healthcare assistant mm. and so maybe our interventions the right intervention but with and possibly those people uh, you know are, are more likely to actually get it as well and think actually mm. you know why wouldn't i want to do that so yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we're going in the wrong direction with some of our interventions yeah um i guess that sort of uh, less regulated workforce or or non non registered uh, workforce mm. is probably something that Australia doesn't see so much as the UK, um, but point still remains. Now, Phil, you've got heroes you wanted to talk about. Your heroes of twenty twenty two. He wants to talk about you, Brett. No, that's definitely not on his list. <laughs> well, apart from Brett, of course. <laughs> Uh, it's it's um, you know uh, crisis brings out the best and the worst in people, doesn't it? And mm. you have these images that are ingrained forever, I think. And um, with any crisis, there's always the people who are up front and centre, and then there's always a whole bunch of really hardworking people behind the scenes. But I think one of the the images that stuck in my mind in the past year or two, I can't remember exactly what it was, was um, uh, Anthony Fauci 
and um, the, the the poor guy had to put up with um, a number of press conferences with the president of the day <laughs> um, speaking at whim um, about his knowledge of, uh, of of the of the of COVID infection and and the treatments and potential treatments and uh, and cures and prevention interventions. And uh, I must say, Fauci has stuck it out, and he's still there, and he's uh, still producing really good out, uh, good work, and good output. And um, I think for me, he's he's one of the the probably more better known heroes that that we've come across, and uh, that I I do recall an yeah. image, and I've got it up on my computer here of him with uh, his his head or his hand on his forehead shaking his head whilst um, the president of the day was, was talking at a press conference. Uh, and uh, he, he, I, I admire that sort of um, uh, grittiness. He's, he's, he's been in that position for some time too, hasn't he? I mean, he, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's outlived... Outlived, out, 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 whatever the word is, outdone presidents and peasants have come and gone, you know, administrations have come and gone, uh, and there's not many people in public life that have held such a hard job at a high profile level for such a long period of time. Mm-hmm. He's, he, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about the man, uh, so he's either exceptionally good at what he does, and that would seem to be the case. Or he's got some really good dirt on someone, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's got someone in the CIA who. Uh, <laughs> no, well, that's, I'm joking. that's always quite possible. <laughs> mm. Well, if, when, when you get Brad Pitt impersonating you on Saturday Night Live to pay Ooh. tribute to you, I think that's pretty. Yeah, you've made pretty it darn yeah. good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a hero, Martin? Uh, we've got a couple, I think, in the UK, and um, yeah, people who work in the public health sphere. So Jonathan Van Tam, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, has always been a a light of steadiness, I would say. And Susan Hopkins as well from Public Health mm. England, or now the new now the UK Health Security Agency. They, they when they appear, you have confidence in exactly what they're saying, and they have been steadfast throughout the whole thing, and they're unflustered. And mm. they don't get swayed aside by the politics as well. So, you know, there, there were people who were trying to back up a governmental advisor when he went for an eye test in Barnard Castle. And Jonathan Van Tam was asked, queried about that at a press conference. And he said, in my view, the, the, you know, the rules count for everybody. And he wasn't going to be swayed for it, from it. And he mm. didn't appear for a period of time after that. But. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he, he's steadfast. So him and, and Susan, if you see them on a press briefing, you know you're getting you're getting exactly mm-hmm. what what's really going, currently going on. And I know the public felt very confident when they see these people speak as well. It helps mm-hmm. that Jonathan drags in a football analogy whenever he talks as well, because he's a, <laughs> a rabid fan of a minor football team called Grimsby Town. You, you've had a couple of high-profile health um, representatives. Um, Go by the wayside, though, haven't you, Martin? With uh, breaking rules and uh... Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the health, the health minister. Um, well, to be honest, government exactly haven't showered themselves with glory. There's the the Christmas party last year that was held in lockdown when nobody was allowed to meet, <laughs> and but all rules were followed. But they had a party and no one was allowed to meet. So I'm not really quite sure that, how that happened. But this it definitely is a. A feeling of one rule for one and one for another over mm. here. Uh, you know, the the thought that 
a, a health advisor needs to drive to somewhere with his family to check that his eyes were safe to drive doesn't quite stack up to, to me as they say in australia so, it doesn't pass the pub test it, no it's a, well it, no it definitely wouldn't pass the pub test so yes yeah, it's it, it's not been good from that aspect we have i don't think we've been well led i mm. have to say we've maybe done the right interventions at the wrong time or too late or things have been delayed and you know the, they, the they've the shut UK's down very quickly fantastic yeah. for us here in australia we've just looked early on and yeah. gone well we won't do that we won't do that or oh, that yeah. one like, well we'll uh, give that one a crack uh, yeah <laughs> oh and yeah it, it if only we were an island, Phil, uh, we'd be able to, you know, do, maybe do what you did. Uh, but we don't seem to be. We don't seem to be an island. Uh, so. How about Australian heroes, Brett? Have you got any? Uh, Australian heroes. Look, there is there is someone that springs to mind. Um, no, sorry, Phil, it's not you. No, um, no, there is there is someone who springs to mind, and and it's someone who's been quite unassuming uh, early on. Alan Chang is who I'm talking about. He's a infectious disease and public health physician in Victoria, and uh, uh, you know you know Alan for some time, Phil, and I, I've more so in perhaps the last five years or so. But um, no, he's a gentleman who has. He's taken on enormous work. You know, he's headed up infectious disease, infection control for one of the biggest hospitals in Melbourne. Uh, he is, sits on the immunisation group, which determines uh, immunisation regimes, including that of COVID for, for Australia, massive responsibility, COVID evidence task force groups. He's been deputy chief health officer and made some tough decisions for Victoria. Uh, he's always been calm, uh, always been considered open to people's views and always got the time if he's got a minute in his day he seems like he's willing to take a call from you or if you feel like i've, I've rang him about something you know it never feels like you've put him out by asking him something uh and um and probably the smartest person i've ever met and probably will ever meet uh a brain the size of the galaxy um and but is very generous with how he uh shares that information and does it in a way that's never patronising. It's, it's a, uh, a unique individual. So he would probably be my quiet, uh, and he would probably, if he's listening to this, he would probably, he'd probably hate me saying that. But, uh, mm. uh, but uh, very, uh, uh, yeah, well, you know him, Phil, as well. Would you mm. agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I had to, I was fortunate enough to catch up with him last week, actually, and um, he was telling me his story uh, whilst he was Chief Health Officer of Victoria and he had a lot of input in the decision to close, um, to lock down for a substantial period of time and the Premier of the of the state at the time turned to him before the announcement was made and said, do you realise this is a $6 billion a week decision? And a um, fair bit of pressure on that decision, <laughs> I would have thought. Um, I don't know if we want to include that in the in the podcast. I but, think he uh, might have mentioned that. You're probably okay to. Yeah, I think he's um, mentioned that. But, um, but this Alan, is an unexpurgated edition. <laughs> That's right. Um, Alan, you know, um, just took that in stride, in usual aplomb, and applied the science, and uh, and and that was the outcome. Mm. And, and you know, subsequently, the the outbreak in Victoria started to uh, to dwindle after that decision. So, in retrospect, it was the right call. And we've had plenty on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, uh, which let's, we probably won't go there today too much, but um, 
you know, there's been some there's been some classics. So you know, the stuff about the vaccine and the planting microchips in your body as you're getting vaccinated. I tell you what, I would never give a government that much credit. They can't organise a quarantine facility in Australia, uh, let alone a microchip in a vaccine that everyone's going to distribute and no one's going to, everyone's going to keep it hush-hush. I think we give that, that's giving the government way too much credit. Uh, I, love, so that, I love that, that people are wandering around with their phone, which tracks everything yeah, every, and knows everything right. about them and everything they buy, everything they do. And yeah. we're, really? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, that 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 and the five G. That was that was at the start, wasn't it? Five G is causing COVID. Funny how that happened in countries that don't even have five G network. But um, that was. (laughs) (laughs) There's been some. There's been some good ones. Uh, um, And look, there's a lot of uh, a lot of great commentary from colleagues and some very unhelpful stuff at times too, which makes it very confusing for the public. But. uh, Anyway, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> mm. I always love the ones where people make comments about yourself, like they might go, "Phil, Phil's thinking this today," or "Phil believes in this today." And uh, you know, we've seen that a bit on Twitter and various other places. It's fascinating how people have got this ability to be a psychic and understand what your, what your, what your. Um, really, have you had that? Wow. Yeah. I mean, they don't say that about me because I don't think anything, so it would be difficult. Yeah. I've tried to avoid any, you know, there's times, I think the best course of action where you disagree with colleagues is to actually have those discussions uh, with that person and not do it publicly in uh, news and Twitter and various other mechanisms. I don't think that achieves much. In fact, in fact, prime ministers ought to do that when they're communicating with French well, presidents. Should be, should you know, to have that discussion with the person <laughs> rather than stick it on Twitter, because that would go down extremely well. Could have raised that, uh, Martin. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, just don't, don't don't talk about Australian cricket captains, or we'll uh, we'll pull the plug. No, 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 no. Uh, not, not with the Ashes. <laughs> Actually, by the time this has gone out, that first test will be finished. So we, uh, it'll yeah. be interesting. Anyway. How are you feeling about the result, seeing as we're so good at predicting the future? Uh, it was a very good win by England, I think. Oh, <laughs> oh, I, I think it's going to be what to draw because it'll be some El Nino rain coming through like it's been doing for the last three weeks, and it'll be a draw. Mm. Anyway, take it you can't you can't travel to go to go to Ooh, go to it. I no, it, Queensland no. borders are opening up, so uh, ah, Australia is almost yeah. almost open for business, Martin. Um, Excellent. So, yes. Any papers? Any papers, grab you? I mean, what else can we wrap it on about? I don't know. Well, actually, <laughs> there is a good paper, and I think Martin, we just did a, a presentation for somewhere else raised just before this call uh and i did like the what the presentation that i one of the papers i presented on the falcon trial uh mm. and uh this was a um recently published in the lancet it's a two by two rct and it was uh alcoholic chlorhexidine versus uh normal suture uh and uh alcoholic chlorhexidine versus a triclosan suture and uh, iodine versus normal suture, iodine versus uh, triclosan suture. One of the biggest RCTs in this space, gastroenterological surgery, bigger than all the other RCTs combined uh, in this space. And it showed no difference in uh, chlorhexidine versus 
iodine and sutured versus normal suture versus triclosan suture when the outcome was SSI for both clean contaminated and dirty surgeries. Um, so, you know, yes, it's limited to uh, to gastro surgery. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of uptake it has. Uh, but 54 hospitals, seven countries, massive study. So, sorry, but did you say there was no difference? No difference. No difference. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, and what was the follow-up like? Was that superficial surgical side infections included in that or just deep? Th- ooh, that's a good question, Phil. I think it okay. was... I think it was both off the top of my head, but don't quote me on that one. I think it was both. Yeah. Was it? Okay. Yeah. I don't know if they – I didn't look at the supplementary – I haven't looked at supplementary data yet, whether they've broken that down further into superficial or deep um, in that data. But um, it's one of those studies that you're going you know, to read 20 times and start to digest, but um, beautifully put together. They, they did some great work to try and – um, blind as much as they could. Uh, they blinded the people uh, assessing the outcome. Um, the, uh, the, the the randomization was very interesting. They had a 24-hour on-call person. So when a surgeon was about to, to do the, the prep or the, the closure, they rung a number and they, they got told what they were doing. Um, so it was, um, it was a really really well thought out study there's some of the detail on there to try and do as much masking as they could in the context of of what they were trying to achieve was um was excellent so um were they able to um, standardize other practices and because i when i think seven countries hmm. i think i mean if i thought seven hospitals in the uk I, you know they wouldn't necessarily all have standard practice so seven countries you know they're all getting the same antibody prophylaxis are they all getting or not getting chlorhexidine bathing beforehand yeah. are they all getting warming or non-warming or you yeah. know could they, could they level that playing field because that, yeah. that always muddies the waters it, it does. Um, it does have muddy the waters. So I don't know about things like chlorhexidine bathing. I have to go back because I know you mentioned that now when we caught up a little while ago about that. I'll need to go mm. and have a look at that. Certainly a lot of the demographic and risk factors, when I just quickly look through Table 1, there didn't seem to be much difference uh, across the, the groups for the randomization. Mm. But, I mean, the humans are often the same, but what we do to them often differs, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, the, that's true. There's cultural differences sometimes in... Yeah, so in the sensitivity analysis, so hopefully they've looked at that and looked at hospitals in, hospitals out, and see whether that's a consistent trend. Probably wouldn't be powered at the individual hospital level, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's um, it's it's going to be one of those studies. I think it'll create a lot of discussion and debate, um, mm. and it's nice to see that come out in the context of not you know we haven't seen many big RCT uh, infection control studies. Um, in the last couple of years because of COVID probably. Uh, I mean, so was, it, nice was it carried out in countries not so affected by COVID? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a lot of, it was, uh, some countries in, throughout Africa. So they, whether they were affected during this time or not, mm. uh, probably at the back end they might have been a little bit, but I, um, I just can't recall off the top of my head when data collection finished. It might have been 2020. Um, so they may not. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to think when when Got COVID really affected. Yeah. Africa. They were sort of a bit delayed. Because COVID's going to affect every. COVID's going to affect yeah. every study, isn't it? Because hand hygiene's changed, PPE wear use has changed, environmental decontamination has gone up mm. and down. People are thinking about the air. You know, so many other confounders come in now to any infection prevention study that we're doing around this time. Apart from the, I mean, inpatient populations have changed as well. That's, That's certainly right. what John Otter found mm. at Imperial. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, what's the word stuffed for a few years now? I think. 
Mm. Yeah, the patient mix is going to be different, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it is nice to see an RCT and infection prevention, Brent, I must say, mm. and hopefully we'll see a few more in the next three or five Three to five years. Oh, I hope so, Phil. I really do. <laughs> do you know, do you know my favourite RCT? My favourite RCT. What's that? The Reach. Well, I always used when the sur- no, 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 no. The Reach. It's old news. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I used to. I always used to. I always used to have surgeons say to me, "Where's the evidence for hand hygiene?" And I'd quote the Smith and Pell study from uh, the Lancet, which said that you know there was no evidence of wearing a parachute actually yeah, that influences was a, that whether was a good you die one. or not. But it wasn't an RCT, so you got criticised. So, but there was, there is an RCT where they actually randomised people to wearing a parachute or not wearing a parachute yes. and jumping from a plane. And jumping from a plane. And there was there was no difference. No difference. Uh, you that's know, right. So, so actually, there is an RCT. That's that's one of my favourite RCT. It's, it's I, I like the, that one too because when I was reading that, I'm like, this is so cleverly put together because there's just one line in the paper that makes yeah. you uh, and. Actually, it'd be a really good one for people to to go and work out why. Well, we'll give it away in a minute. But but if you had students or you know you're teaching about research, you, you read that paper and if they miss the one line where it says that they jumped from, they actually were very clever. They weren't quite too explicit, but something like jumping from an altitude of one meter. Um, yeah. Uh, but if you miss that one meter. You would go, how on earth is this possible that someone's jumped from a plane? Because everything else was so well described. They flew up here and they did this and they were randomised this way. You think that's the best design study ever. Um, mm. And But how could they possibly survive or not survive without a parachute? Uh, so the devil's always in the detail, as they say. And uh, that was yeah. a good study for that. So I really like that. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a good example. And you can get people thinking a little bit as well. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, look, people have probably heard enough of us rambling on for this year, have yeah. they? Most so likely. What's, what's, what's the next 12 months hold in infection prevention? What's, what's going to be the big oh. ticket item, COVID aside, perhaps? Hap. Hap will start to happening, I think. Maybe not in 2022, but I predict soon thereafter. And the reason I say that is, well, there's a bit of momentum happening in the US. There's lots of little bits of work going on around the traps in different countries trying to improve oral care and um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so we've got I a national program a kicking swell. off in the UK. Yeah, I think it'll yeah. be a groundswell from that foundational uh, elements up. May not be the RCTs we want, um, but um, I think there'll be a lot of that quasi-experimental. I think we'll see quite a few publications coming out in that space and and you know in this particular area we've got to stop talking to ourselves about it yeah uh, you know we need to we need to talk to the groups who actually implement the care that would make a difference and uh, hmm. i don't think we're always that great at doing that and getting in front of those audiences of nurses where do nurses hmm. go to learn you know at conferences can we get in on those conferences you know on you know hmm. if, if there's a a medical nursing conference. Can we get on on, on that one? It's it's mm. you know, that's, hard, that's where they? we need to our target. You know, yeah. nursing goes back a lot. I'm not going to mention Florence, but you know, uh, it Who? goes goes back a long way. Infection prevention. And uh, I remember Martin. We put in. We th- I thought we put in a cracking program to get into an international nurses conference that will remain unnamed. Uh, mm. And it was perhaps an hour and a half session, something like that. Yeah. And we were yep. covering some big topics with some good speakers that we proposed, and we didn't get a Guernsey. And and mm. that happens. I'm not got sour grapes. But when I saw some of the other stuff 
that was uh, presented, I thought, how can how can infection control not be on the radar of nursing, leading international and national professionals, nursing associations? How can this not be? at the forefront of the agenda. It is the number one thing that goes wrong in hospitals in terms of patient safety. Mm. Uh, and a lot of it is down to what we do or don't do as clinicians to patients. So I think it's partly because people think, oh, it's all so obvious, it's a no-brainer. Mm. But people don't do it because mm. they don't make the connections. Mm. If you say do people's teeth get cleaned, you know, if they do, te- teeth don't get cleaned, they're going to get pneumonia. People are like, well, really? They, you know, they mm. just don't get it. Yeah. And I, I think well, we, maybe we're not explaining it well enough. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I take, yeah, I take, maybe, I take responsibility for this too. It's not, a, it's not a shift the blame here. Mm. It's just a, mm. it's a point of saying how do we actually have that conversation and, and engage with, with different uh, disciplines. I know we've been trying to do that for a number of years, uh, working with different disciplines, and that's certainly come to the fore in COVID times. That's become quite evident as to where those gaps have been. Uh, uh, I think three of us have probably done a reasonable job in the past, but you know we need a lot more of it. We just talk to ourselves too much. Mm. I mean, in the UK, IPS holds some regional conferences, but they're actually aimed not at infection control people; they're aimed at other people. And you know, mm. is that the sort of thing ASIP she does in their in their chapters? You know, do you organise meetings for more general nurses and yeah, try and get the word Alex, out that way? Past president, I should say. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, you, you've sort of segued into a topic, Oz. I, I think that one of the big areas for the next 12 months or forever, actually, is going to be in aged care. Um, and COVID has really highlighted not just a lot of deficiencies across the board with aged care, but also about the lax infection prevention thought mm. that, that goes mm. into aged care facilities and um, experience and skills and qualifications of the of the staff who work in that space uh, so I think the the whole aged care thing is going to be is really you know crucial and that's that's um, going to be across the board um, really you know, has, I, don't, yeah. I don't reckon it's just I agree with you Phil I don't reckon it's just aged care I mean the, the at the ASIPSI conference I was asked to talk about worldwide trends to close the conference uh, and in fact, the presentation I just did before this this podcast recording, I did a similar thing. One of the things I said is uh, aged care, but education, uh, mm. uh, correctional services, mental health services, childcare, um, uh, you know, workplaces where there's open plan uh, and big shared buildings. I mean, there's there is an enormous amount of work we need to do. Uh, to prevent infections in a whole range of different settings. We've been very fixated on four walls of a hospital and what might extend in and out of that by way of community or outreach services. But uh, we, we've, the, there is an enormous amount we need to do in all those settings and we need an enormous amount of research to understand what's going to be effective in those settings and what's not. And we need massive change in regulations. You know, Simon Witts in our last podca- podcast yeah. just touched on that slightly at the end yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, where we talked about regulations have let us down with building regulations, particularly around things like ventilation. I have to say hats off, guys, in, in the Australia mandating an accredited infection control person in every aged care facility mm. you know that was seriously impressive so that so you have somebody available 
in your facility who's had some degree of training in infection mm. prevention and control because that isn't not the case in the, in the UK uh, and I yeah I think, fantastic that it was it's a starting point it's a, it's a yeah. I think it's I agree great yeah. great issue it's a starting point because you know we'll know what will happen what we need and is regeneration we need career planning we need a career pathway we need um, formal education that underpins the profession uh there's a whole bunch of things that need to happen that, that actually this could spawn and, and help generate. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. the moment... Well, some will, some know, will get interested, like, won't who, has, who, yeah. who needs to get redeployed or, you know, you can't do that anymore. You're going to work in infection yeah, yeah. control. Um, yeah. You know, it's not a, it's it's not the way to do it. Uh, so no wonder there's t- challenges implementing stuff. Literally speaking, it's the thin end of the wedge, really, yeah. because it reminds me of what Simon Witz referred to in our chat to him about that hierarchy of controls, is that, you know, the facility, the environment needs to be designed to prevent infection. And as you go up that that triangle mm. to the pointy end, you know, often where PPE is, but it's also about having those people who are experienced and mm. qualified in that workforce who know how to to implement and, and make change as well. So it's mm. it, like all things infection control, it's not just one thing. It's, it starts from the very base foundation and you build up from there. Now, I'm not asking you a question, Phil. Uh, oh, go on, man. Oh, I, just, I was just going to say, my last act as a full-time employed person last week was to attend the degree congregation for a load of MSc students from the University of West London. And I felt quite fitting, actually, that, you know, I'm not, I'm part-time now, but my last full-time act was to be there celebrating the next generation mm. of uh, infection control professionals coming through, some of whom are interested in doing PhDs already. So oh, that, that, I have to say that warmed the cockles of the heart, you know, because when yeah. we're talking about aged care, I've got to declare a conflict of interest now because my bus mm. pass arrived the week before last. Well, you, got, you got a 10% wage increase, didn't you, Martin, during the week? <clears throat> Well, I did only because I don't pay national insurance anymore. Why is that? Because <laughs> I've like, well, once you once you hit old age and collect your old age pension, then you don't have to pay national insurance anymore. So, yeah, so are okay. you classified as semi-retired now, Martin? Is that is that yeah, your, yeah, is semi-retired? That, that's the announcement. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. nice. Oh, that's a, that's I, a nice idea. I, I did see mm. images of that graduation, and you looked very mm. dandy. I must say, it looked it suited you perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite so flattered with the picture of Will Hay that Yvonne Curran put up after it, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was very good. <laughs> yeah, I saw yeah. that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Phil, um, look, I'm not going to put you on – I don't want to put you on the spot particularly, but you've had a very busy 12, 12 to 2 years as president of SIPSI during a pandemic. Your university work, your research work, COVID evidence task force, CQV, hotel quarantine, doing – Things like getting in the the foundations course, to helping uh, support those thousands of nurses in aged care. Uh, well, so well done to all that. But my question actually is, uh, what do you do to switch off? So you know, every, everyone's been smashed and overwhelmed in different ways. But what do you do to uh, unwind or relax? What's your out? What's your? <laughs> do you have a secret? <laughs> Uh, it's probably no secret and probably anybody with family can relate to this, but there's no better grounding touchstone than family, <laughs> particularly kids, uh, because, uh, you know, when you, after those sorts of days, you come home and uh, you try to explain to them what, what's been going on and uh, really it's not that important to them anymore <laughs> in the big scale of things. It brings you back to 
to earth and life very quickly. But, mm. um, but yeah, look, it's, uh, you know, I think in one way for all of us, we uh, I sort of feel grateful that, that we've been in a situation where we have the skills and the ability and the knowledge to actually help and make um, make improvements and improve the um, improve you know the 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 care that we're trying to apply to all sorts of communities and public health. So, mm. in a sense, you know, it has been busy, but at the same time, I feel as though I've been very fortunate to have been able to contribute. Mm. Martin, you had a unique experience setting up um, Nightingale hospitals and oh Hampton. yeah. Oh. Well, well, that these was, things sound like a distant was, memory now, don't they? Because they're just sort of. Uh, well, it, it was. I mean, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was there twice, and basically the first time we started to build a four thousand bed intensive care unit in a convention centre. Well, not even the convention centre that would have implied some facilities. It was, uh, <laughs> it was just two enormous <laughs> exhibition halls with no water and no power, and and that was uh, and no oxygen, and that was an, a unique experience. And to be honest, I think it's one of the most interesting things I've ever done, and it was nice to be able to contribute because. Um, with Annette Jeans and um, and Joseph McHale and a few others, we we went there and you know we meant we didn't deplete the already under you know, under or overstretched infection control teams of London. So that was a, a fantastic experience. I mean, a lot of things I do differently now, um, but yeah, we opened it up and closed it down and opened it up and closed it down basically <laughs> because of the poor decision making of the government. I mean, where where somebody ever thought that they would be able to starve four thousand ITU beds? Uh, really not sure what mind-altering drugs they were on at the time because <laughs> we were running at one ITU nurse per six beds and, you know, it, well, to be honest, it would have been whatever it is, you know, we'll give people a chance if it ever got that bad and mm. I, I suspect it was the right thing to do based on the modelling at the time and the failure of policies up until that time. Um, mm. But it, it was a unique experience and nice to contribute, to be honest, you know, and uh, I might be semi-retired now, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to not do something because, well, you're not, you know, I'm going to carry on part-time on my day job, which is working in the industry. But I, I, I just love infection control. It's so interesting. And, you know, every day I learn stuff. You know, doing the podcast, mm. I learn stuff. I read a new paper, I learn stuff. And it always throws up more and more and more and more questions. So mm. that's what I like about I, it. I've yeah. never known anybody to retire and actually be quiet, Martin. So I'm looking forward to your output <laughs> increasing <laughs> over the next few years. You'd just be doing yeah. it like a page doing it now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, you do that's it probably true. Yeah. I do. I do it for uh, no. So I'm not. I'm not going to say I do it for nothing because somebody might hear. But uh, but uh, you know, I, I love it. It's fascinating. Yeah. And fa- a failure to be able to say no is also a problem. Yes. Yes. I think we've all suffered that one. Mm. I think that's it for us for 2022. Is it? Oh, hang on. You're not sneaking off there. What do you do to relax? What do I do to relax? Yeah. Oh well, I would like. I, I do camping is my outlet. Actually, I do like going outdoors. Mm. That's been a bit of a problem with lockdowns. Um, a couple of times about to go locally, but um, but by and large, man, I try and get away. I find that a massive uh, place just to relax. As soon as I pitch the tent, sit down, uh, I'm in a different zone. So that's my key outlet but but um probably on a day-to-day basis like phil when you come home to young kids and they say how was your day dad and you might start to explain something and yeah 
It's just not interesting. Uh, <laughs> or they just say something. The other interesting thing they do is they cut cut through things really easily. So sometimes you go, you might be working on this and that, and they well, why don't they just do that, Dad? Yeah, well, that's right. Why don't they just do that? Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that's that's always a grounding experience too. Well, boys, we've managed to wrap it on for an hour. <coughs> yes, it's oh, if anyone's isn't listening it? to this by now, they must be on the drink yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well past yeah. my bedtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, on that bombshell, I, I, I was just going to say thanks, Phil and Martin, for your uh, podcast. It's been great doing the podcast with you, and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, without them, there's no point doing it, but. I do enjoy doing them, so yeah. good to catch up with you too. We have Deb Friedman now. We, we've we've um, Deb Friedman is part of this podcast, but Deb um, has, like many people, an infection prevention, control, infectious disease has been extremely busy and has also taken on senior roles advising government. Uh, so we hope that we'll get Deb involved next year. Um, yeah. I actually caught up with Deb yesterday over a glass of Chardonnay in the in the warmth of a, a summer afternoon, and she's just taken on the position of Deputy Chief Health Officer of Victoria. So um, um, I did tee her up for an interview in the future. So she yeah. won't be the interviewer, but she'll be the interviewee. So looking yes. forward to that. And maybe she can be an interviewer at some point when that time sits mm-hmm. uh, as well. So... Uh, Yes. All right. Who's going to wrap it up? Oh, Phil, because that's let's put the pressure on Phil because Phil's bound to make a blooper. I don't. Yeah, absolutely. I don't don't have the smooths that you guys do. So uh, uh, I'll I'll hand it over to you to wrap up, and I'll just say cheerio. Do you know, there's a, there is a blooper file, and one day Martin might actually create a podcast with all the bloopers in there, but there have been quite a few bloopers with um, Phil oh, yeah. trying to get an intro out of it, uh, out, oh. out. <laughs> and me too. I'm not discussing his versions here. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not editing this one, because normally we have this amount of time of worth of footage, or yeah. soundage, and I normally have to chop a load of it out. So, And I've learnt, that's one sk- skill I've learnt this year, is how to, how to edit on... Um, Adobe Audition, so it's been yes. useful from that point of view. Oh, actually, before we go, uh, if anyone is still listening, <laughs> if you've endured yeah. this and you're still listening, we are going to revamp the website <laughs> to try and uh, make it a bit more searchable, perhaps with topics at the front end. And if we get a chance to do that during January, uh, things might just look a little bit different, but hopefully it'll be just uh, enable people to be able to search for particular themes or topics, particularly as we grow this uh, if we continue to do more and more, um, we want things to be searchable as well. So it might be a little bit of a revamp here and there. Over to you, man. Well, okay, I'll wrap it up then. Uh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure as ever. Nice to catch up. Yeah, Brett, Brett's swigging on a beer now just to really rub it in because it's, <laughs> it's early in the morning for me, so I've not been doing that. But, yeah, great to see uh, Brett and Phil. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed some of the podcasts we've done this year. Lovely to hear from you if you've got some ideas for future podcasts because we come up with our own ideas, but that's just the things that we're interested in. So if there's other areas you want us to cover, then find some way of letting us know on Twitter or somewhere like that. Just remains for me to say, I hope everybody has a very happy Christmas wherever in the world that you are and a happy new year. And we hope that 2022 is less challenging in some ways and more challenging probably in others. So goodbye to everybody and thanks very much for listening. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.
<laughs> Wherever you are. The love tunes and dedications or whatever it used to be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Casey Kasem. Yeah. <laughs> 